Well, you guys have uh, heard me preach before if you've been in our celebration for family for a while, and I always share sort of some insights and some stories into kind of how things are with my family. I live a pretty transparent life, and I have something called the Ministry of the Awkward Moment. You guys have heard me talk about that before, and we're not going to rehash those stories, you know? Those are gone. There's, it's a new day. It's a new day, but the stories keep coming, and I'm finding out, <laughs> yes, they do. And I'm finding out that my family, apparently, maybe this anointing is genetic and it's getting passed down to my children. I don't know. But my son right now, he is really into Star Wars and Jedis. You guys know the movie's coming out in December. All the Wookiees just looked up at me. Like, every, now they're dialed in. But uh, they are, we're, my son's really excited about it. And he's really excited about, like, army, playing army. And he's very sensitive to, like, command. Who's in command? Who's in first command? Who's in second command? The general outranks the lieutenant. And it's, he's just really kind of honing in on that and focused on that. And it's so funny. He was in children's ministry, and Pastor Lance was talking about coaches, you know, that every family has a coach, and your mom and dad are your coach. Maybe your dad's your coach. And he looks at Owen, and he says, Owen, does your family have a coach? And Owen says, um, our family has two coaches. (laughs) And I think he thinks he was one of them. (laughs) So... Anyway, he's into this whole command thing and who's in charge right now. And so Pastor Frankie and I were in the office and he was packing up, getting ready to head out. And Owen had just gotten out of school and he looks at Owen and he laughs. He says, Owen, I'm heading out. You're in charge. Well, all of a sudden, Owen like sits up like he thought today's the day. (laughs) And I kind of in my mom peripheral vision, I'm like, wait a second. Something's happening. You know how you moms, it's like we're part Jedi. There's a disturbance in the force. <laughs> like we feel it coming. These are not the droids you're looking for. Your shoes, go find the other one. <laughs> and so my son runs out and he catches Pastor Frankie before he gets in the car, whispering because he doesn't want his mother to hear him. He goes, hey, hey, Pastor Frankie. Pastor Frankie has to lean down. He's like, yeah, what you need on? He says, hey, when you said, um, when you said I was in charge, does that mean I outrank my mom right now? <laughs> Kid is smart. Now, Pastor Frankie, this is a senior pastor moment because he's going to either have to get a new chief of staff <laughs> or he's going to have a tyrant in charge of this church. He's going to have a seven-year-old. Things are going to change around here. We're going to have popcorn machines and cotton candy every service. There's some things that a seven-year-old is going to change about this place. So he says, Owen, and I can tell our pastor's anointed in this response. He says, Owen, kind of man to man. Owen, man, a mom is a mom, man. Owen's like, yeah, you got that right. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, way to go, Pastor Frankie. You navigated that one pretty good. Because for a second there, I was sweating bullets. But that's kind of how life is is like for the Stevens. Now, how many of you guys, as a mom, we just want to know we're doing a good job, right? We don't want to wait 20 years to find out if we mess somebody up. <laughs> like, we would like to find out incrementally. You know what I mean? Like, let's just have a little six-month checkup. How are we doing? You still emotionally stable? Praise God. Let's give it another six months. <laughs> you know? Are you Oprah show material yet? Nope. Let me keep working at it. You know? And so I've been trying to cultivate in my children gratitude, and I'm trying to teach them how to write. Because, you know, being able to express yourself with written thought is sort of a lost art. You know, it's kind of a dying art. So I want my children to be able to express themselves. And I also want to cultivate gratitude. So Owen just had a birthday, and I said, Owen, I want you to write all of your friends a thank you note. 
for the presents you got for your birthday. And moms, it was one of their moments, those moments where you realize, I'm doing all right. I'm reading these thank you notes. I'm like, whoa, wow, wow. Give myself a high five. I got this down. Thank you, Lord. He's seven years old. We only got another 10 years to go before I come up for parole. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, we're getting by week by week. And I get to his last thank you note, and it just cracked me up. And I've got to share it with you guys. I've got it here. And it's, it's hard to read a seven-year-old boy's handwriting because it's part Hebrew, part Klingon. <laughs> so I am going to translate it for you. But it says, Dear Braxton and Braylon, thank you for the pop gun. I am excited to shoot my sister. (laughs) I had fun with you at the party, Owen. (laughs) Tell you what. So close. We were so close. And there's nothing I can tell Avery but duck and weave, baby. Duck and weave. (laughs) You know? That's the way it is. So that's how it is with the Stevens. Oh, moms, you just want to know you're doing a good job. And you are doing a good job. Keep it up. America needs more moms. They need more moms because I tell you, you can do more for our country every day around the dinner table than most people can do in Washington, D.C. in a lifetime. So keep it up. And moms, I also want to tell you, uh, I want to encourage you, every lady, whether you're a mom or not, I want you to come out to that Rev kickoff on October 1st. We have got a great night planned for you guys. You need to come. You need to be encouraged with other women. I promise you're going to laugh. I promise you're going to be encouraged when you leave that place. It's this Thursday, 7 o'clock, and I don't want to give too much away, but I tell you what, there will be a music video involved. Oh, yeah. And you guys may not know this but I taught P. Diddy everything he knows about rapping. (laughs) So y'all come on out. If anything, it'll be worth the show. So anyway, we're excited about that. We'll see you at the Rev kickoff. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to title your notes, Fruitful Affliction. Fruitful Affliction. And I want to talk to you today about seasons where you feel like you're getting shot at from every single angle. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel like there are seasons where maybe I take on a lot of tension maybe in the office, or maybe, you know, I feel like things are tense in my home, or things are tense maybe, or I'm not where I want to be with the Lord, but when all three of those plates are sort of wobbling, I feel like there's no place I can go to escape. I feel like I'm getting shot at every single angle. I just want to have one corner where I can kind of go back and think, oh, a refuge, a place to kind of wait this thing out. But where I was a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't make a single move without drawing fire. I felt like, golly, you know, things in my family, things were stressful, things were our schedules were just crazy. It was back to school. And then I think, well, I'll go to the office and things will be calm at the office. Well, guess what? Things were crazy here and it was busy and just work stuff. Nothing bad, just work stuff. So I thought, well, gosh, home is nuts and work is nuts. Well, Lord, I've just got to lean into you. And I felt like in my prayer life, I was praying and my my prayers were hitting the ceiling and bouncing back. I felt like I was just getting shot at in every single angle. And I was like, oh my goodness, what is going on here? And I don't know where you are today, but maybe that's where you are. You feel like there is no place to hide. It doesn't matter what move you make. You're taking fire from somewhere. And I want to challenge you today that at the end of those seasons, I don't want to just say, hey, we made it through that one, honey. Ooh, survive that. I want to be fruitful at the end of that season. I want that affliction to owe me something. I want that affliction to owe me something. That I earned those battle stripes. That that I was pruned and now I'm more fruitful than I ever have been before. So that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis 49. 
verse 22. And I'm going to read to you today from the Amplified Bible. And if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We're going to have it on the screens. But I'm going to read it to you. And you can follow along with me. Genesis 49, 22. It says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful tree. A fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. Skilled archers have bitterly attacked and sorely worried him. They have shot at him and persecuted him, but his bow remains strong and steady and rested in the strength that does not fail him. For the arms of his hands were made strong and active by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, by the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel." So I want to unpack that with you a little bit. When I was going through that season of where I felt like I was taking fire from every single angle, just in reading the word, I came to this verse where Joseph is a fruitful bough. And I thought, oh, Lord, thank you. Lord, make me fruitful. Make me fruitful. Lord, how is Joseph? I, I, I'd stopped reading. I should have kept reading. But I said, oh, Lord, make me fruitful like Joseph was fruitful. Just rain your presence down on me. And the Holy Spirit said, well, keep reading. And it says, okay, okay. He was skillfully attacked by archers and sorely worried. Time out, Lord. (laughs) Time out. I don't know about you guys, but I want a lot of us, we want the fruitfulness. We want the power. We want the testimony, but we don't always want the test. We don't always want the power of God in our lives, but we don't want to take time to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. And I want to give you some points today. I want to give you some tools today so that when those stressful and those attacking seasons come, you'll have more to show for it than just scars. You'll have more to show for it than just, man, we made it through that one. I want you to have fruitfulness to show for it. You know, living here in Houston, we kind of expect hurricanes to come during hurricane season, right? It's just like living on the eastern seaboard or living in the Gulf Coast. When the conditions are right, hurricanes just kind of happen here. And we're not really all that shocked or surprised, but we kind of know the drill, right? If you see a hurricane forming in the Gulf, you know, you go get gas, you go get batteries, you go get... You know, you fill your car up, you you get water. It's sort of like we're thankful for Florida because they show us really how strong it is and it's got to go through Florida before it gets to us, right? We're like, oh, wow, we need two cartons of water. Did you see Miami? We need two cartons of water. So we don't find it that shocking when the hurricane season comes to us. And Jesus is telling us in John, he actually says in John 16, he says, I have told you these things. He's talking about the things that are going to be happening to us as believers. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, you will have trials, you will have distress and frustrations. I love the Amplified Bible. They don't leave anything, you know, <laughs> they don't leave anything for, up for question. Distress, tribulation, frustration. He says, but be of good cheer. He says, take courage, be confident. He says, and be certain, for I have overcome the world. But this is the part I love. I love this part. I have deprived the world its power to harm you, and I have conquered it for you. Wow. So here's the lesson. Hurricanes come. A part of our life here is we're gonna, we live in Hurricane Alley as believers. But Jesus says, I got great news for you. I have deprived the world its power to harm you. You're still gonna have the storm, but you'll be fruitful at the end of it. That's my promise to you. 
So in the scripture we just read, in John and in Genesis, I want to unpack Joseph's story for us and kind of see how we can be fruitful because he faced a number of different hurricanes. His whole life was one hurricane after the other. For those of you who don't know, Joseph was uh, the next to the youngest son of a guy named Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Pastor preached about the guy who wrestled with God until he got his blessing. Well, this is his son. And Jacob has this son Joseph, and he's highly favored. And Joseph receives a word from the Lord at a very young age that he is going to rule over his brothers. God is telling him things about the future. He's giving him promises about his, his um, promises in the promised land for him, things that Joseph can't even comprehend. And his brothers start to really resent him for it. They're like, you know what? We've had enough of this. So they beat the kid up, and they leave him for dead. He's 17 years old. And they think, you know what, we'll just tell dad that a lion or a wild animal got him. And after they beat him up, they hear a caravan and they think, well, why should we leave him for dead? Let's at least make a little money off of him. And they sell their own brother into slavery. 17 years old and he sold into slavery. He was 13 years a slave in Egypt. He goes on the auction block, and he's bought by a man named Potiphar, and he serves in Potiphar's house for 13 years. Have you ever been in a season where you think we can only go up from here? (laughs) You think, well, the good news here is that we can only go up from here. And then all of a sudden you discover that that situation has a basement. (laughs) That happened to Joseph. 13 years a slave, and then he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And an innocent man goes to prison for two years. He's sitting in prison and he's sitting there and his gifts are continuing to flourish. God is continuing to walk with him. And he's using his gifts and he's telling the people around him that he's in prison with, hey, remember me when you get out. Remember me when you get out. And the friends forget him and he gets overlooked. And eventually God does redeem him and bring him out of that season and elevates him to where he's second in command to only Pharaoh. But before he got to that position, he had a season of 25 years of being, as his dad described, bitterly attacked and sorely worried. Man, 25-year season. I don't know what your season is today. Everybody has a different season. Everyone has a season that lasts 25 days, 25 minutes, 25 months. I don't know what your season is today. But when we leave this place together... I want you to walk out of this place with an assurance, just like Joseph had, that every day you can get up and you can know that God has a plan for you, that he has hope for you, and that you are coming out the other side of this thing fruitful, 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 that you're not just being afflicted for afflicted sake. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give you three points, and the first point I'm going to give you today is if we are going to be fruitful in affliction, the first thing we have to do is be resolved. We have to be resolved. And resolved is a way of saying, I am in it to win it. Now, I got a story for you that gives you kind of a picture of resolved. I was in D.C. I went to work for a government relations firm. And it really wasn't my first job choice, but I had left Fox and I was trying to figure out if I could get on Capitol Hill. And so for six months, I worked for this government relations firm because pretty much I had gone accustomed to eating and I had to work to eat, (laughs) you know. So I was like, well, this will pay the bills, you know. And so I went to work for this company, 
And I met this guy named Todd, Todd Stevens, and he was friendly enough. He had been there the week before, and he was going to train me, and we served on the same team together. And we just developed this friendship, and it was very fun, and it was very nice. He was a gentleman, consummate general, uh, gentleman, and I noticed he dated a lot of other people, but not me. You guys know that book, He's Not That Into You? That was pretty much the story of my 20s. All right? I wrote that book. He's not that into you. And, and, and I'm not here to preach about that. And this is not a therapy session for me. I'm not here to preach about that. <laughs> Woo! But we just were these good friends. And we kept up this correspondence. We'd email each other. We'd call each other. Just very friendly. Hey, how are you? How's work? All oh, my work's going great. Blah, blah, blah. And then one day out of the blue, he said, you know what, Sarah? You really ought to come see Kentucky. He had gotten a job in his home state. He said, the grass really is blue. He said, you got to come see Churchill Downs. Sarah, it's beautiful rolling hills. It's bourbon country. Come on and see it. And I said, you know what? I love to travel. I'd love to see it. All right, I'll come. And he's like, well, great, great. Get on a plane. Get out here. I'll get some hotel rooms. I said, well, I'm from an old southern family, so I'm going to have to bring a chaperone. And it got real quiet on the end of the phone. And he's like, well, who are you thinking? And I said, my younger sister, can she come? He's like, sure, the more the merrier. I'd love to have you both. <laughs> so my sister and I go, and we had a great time. You know, I went and saw the, the bluegrass and Churchill Downs and where they make the bourbon, and it was awesome. And I thought we were going back to the airport, and I thought, well, this was a fun trip. I'm going to sure see this guy when I see him. And I was like, Todd, thank you so much. It was beautiful. Good luck with your life, and we'll be in touch. Maybe, maybe not. And I'm pulling my luggage at the Delta counter to try to get out of the airport. He says, oh, before you go, there's one thing I want to talk to you about. I said, okay, that's fine. you got about four and a half feet. Let's keep going. And he's like, well, I wanted to talk to you because I'd, I'd really like to date you. And I said, you want to date me? I said, are there no women in Kentucky? We live like a thousand miles from each other. <laughs> I said, you want to date me just to date me? I got three and a half feet here. You we could have talked about this all weekend. <laughs> and uh, first clue that he waits to the last minute. First clue. So he said, no, no, I don't want to date you to date you. I'm more or less determined that I'm going to marry you. But I have to go through the motions of dating you so you will marry me. Drop the luggage. <laughs> I said, wow. All right. <laughs> Uh, I'll be hearing from you. <laughs> and I, sure enough, I did. And we dated for another year. He flew to me, I flew to him, and it was this whirlwind courtship. And then we were married, and then two years later, we had children. And when I think about Resolved, I think about Todd's engagement story, because Todd had made his mind up. I am in it to win it. I am messing around with you, lady. These aren't games. <laughs> Look, time is money. You are my wife. Pray about it. Call me in the morning. You know what I'm saying? I tell you, it was a great... And so he was resolved. He was resolved. And you and I, we have got to be resolved. There are some things we got to make our mind up right now about. Before that hurricane even comes on shore, there's some things we got to decide today. And the first thing you have to decide is that God is good and there is nothing good for you outside of his will for your life. You just got to decide that. 
you got to decide that. Because when that hurricane comes and those winds blow and that rain starts to fall and your circumstances start to kind of shift and change, what settles you, what anchors you is a knowledge that God is for you, that God has good things for you. Ephesians 3.20 says, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. That's your promise. You know what? That hurricane and it's blowing and it's rainy, but no, Lord, I am your workmanship. You have prepared in advance for me the things you have for me to do, Jesus. Make your mind up about that today. Before Joseph faced the well that his brothers threw him in, before he was on the auction block, before he ended up in prison, before he ended up in Pharaoh's house, he made his mind up that God's word was true. That the things that God gave him, the visions and the dreams, the promises that he had in his heart that nobody else understood and resented him for it. He said, you know what? I'm holding on to this. I might be in the prison. I might be in the Potiphar's house. I could be wrongly accused. That doesn't change who my God is. That does not change who my God is. I am resolved. You know, there's a beautiful story in Exodus. And Jesus, or actually God is talking to Moses and Moses and, and is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God says, you know what? I'm true to my word. You can have the promised land. And I'll do you one even better. I'm going to send the angel of the Lord out before you to clean up all the people who are in the land. It's actually in Exodus 33 too. And this is God speaking to Moses. He said, I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Prezerite, the Hivyanite, and the otherite. <laughs> he says, I'll do you a favor. But he says in his next breath, but Moses, I will not go up with you. Because if I go, I might kill you all because you're driving me crazy. That's not the Amplified. That is the Southernese translation. It's true, though. God said, my presence will not go up with you. I will send an angel. He will clean it out, and you can have the promised land, but my presence is not going with you. And Moses says something so amazing. He goes to Exodus 33, 15, and Moses says, If your your presence does not come with us, we are not leaving this place. Moses was resolved. When I tell you that we have to be resolved about some things, I'm not telling you that you need to be resolved about some goals. I want to get debt-free. I'm in it to win. I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to love my wife. I want to get back together with my children. I want to be reconciled in my relationships. Those are all good things. I want those things to happen in your life. But what I want you to be resolved about is that you're not going to leave this place. You're not going to leave the spot where you're standing unless the presence of God goes with you. That's what you're resolved about this morning. When I say that we are in it to win it, We are in it to know God, to behold him. It says, and the psalmist tells us, he says, One thing I ask of the Lord, and this I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. That's what we're resolved about, church. That's what we're resolved about. I don't know what season you're in. 
I don't know what hurricane is coming to your shore. I have heard so many of your stories and many of your stories I have not heard yet. But there's only one piece of advice that I can give you. One thing that I need to tell you to be resolved about. And that is to seek his face continually. To seek his face continually. First Chronicles 16.11 says, the look to the Lord in his strength and seek his face always. Well, Sarah, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it. What should I do? Look to the Lord in his strength and seek his face continually. Sarah, we might lose the house. Oil is below $40 a barrel. I don't know what we should do. Should we short sales? Should we go now? Should we cut our losses? Look to the Lord and his strength and seek his face continually. Sarah, there's this sickness in my body. I have been struggling with this for years. I cannot get it loosed from me. And the only thing I can say to anyone is to seek the Lord in his strength and to seek his face continually. That is what we're resolved about. It doesn't make sense in our physical nature. We try to reconcile it and get, get a goal, get a target. And what you're after is Jesus. Yes. Matthew tells us, he says, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you chase things, things will always evade you. It's like Moses was offered the promised land. And he says, no, I'm not going to take a good thing. And miss a God thing. I'm not going to take a good thing. It was his to have. God had promised him. This is yours. And God has things for you. And you are going to have to get to a place. Just like Moses. He spent 40 years in the desert with these people. He was chasing around the backside of the wilderness. Until he spoke to a burning bush. And he had it in the palm of his hand. And he knew. I'm not going to take a good thing. And miss a God thing. Be resolved today to have your God thing. Be resolved today to know him like you have never known anything in your life. And when those hurricanes and those storms come, you know what? That's small potatoes. Because your vision is fixed. Your target is fixed. And you can walk through anything knowing who your sights are on. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be resolved. The second thing we're going to be is resilient. We're going to be resilient. And resilient means I will grow where I am planted. I will grow where I am planted. Resilience is a characteristic that is basically summed up in this phrase. I know I'm not done. Let me say it this way. I don't know what's next, but I know I'm not done. That's resilience. I don't know what's next, but I know I'm not done. I did not expect this, but I know I'm not done. God's not finished. I'm going to keep putting down roots in dry ground. Hosea says, he says, break up the fallow ground until I come and rain on you. And sometimes there are seasons, there's not a cloud in the side, and all we have is dirt, and we just break it up because we know it's coming. We know it's coming. Resilience is, I don't know what's next, but I know I'm not done. When the verse I just read with read to you about Joseph, his father is blessing him. He's speaking a blessing over him. And he says in verse 24, he says, his bow remains strong and steady. Even through all of that affliction, all of that hardship, his bow is strong and steady. He is ready for whatever comes next. It says that he rested in the strength that does not fail him. How many of you just need rest you just need rest when you're in a tough season. You're like, yeah, I want strong arms, but golly, I'd like to go to a corner where I could just get a little peace and quiet. 
I would love to just rest. A lot of times we end up marred and shaped by our experiences because we never experience the rest of God during that hard season. And Joseph, for 25 years, he had to get up every day in that prison cell or as a slave or serving Pharaoh and say, Lord, I need your strength for today. I need your rest for today. And little by little, his arms are strong. His bow is poised. And it says the arms of his hands were made strong by the God of Jacob. Every day, little by little, rest and strength, rest and strength, rest and strength. And this is what happens when you and I are resilient. We don't go through the fire and find out, well, hey, how about that? My son right now, you know, he's really conscientious about his biceps. I said, ooh, Owen, look at the guns on you. He's his mom. Those are cannons. (laughs) I said, yes, they are, son. You were, that's, mm, open this jar of peanut butter for me. Woo, good job, boy. Look at these cannons. You and I, we sometimes think that we're going to be strong at the end of this journey. We're going to be strong once we pass through the fire. And I want to encourage you today that resilience means that you're strong in the middle of it. Jesus says, he says, I am a very present help in time of trouble. He's not waiting for you on the other side of the fire. He's not waiting for you on the other side of the flood. He's walking with you in the middle of it. Little by little, little by little, you are knowing strength and you are knowing rest and you are knowing strength and you are knowing rest. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, wow, look at these cannons. I got this thing. That's resilience. You know, I want to tell you that this is the kind of sermon that looks really good on paper, right? It's one thing to come in here and encourage one another on a Sunday morning. Oh, I'm resolved, Sarah. I'm resilient. I'm ready for this thing. It's another thing to live it out, right? And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know the season that you're in. I don't know if you've been in that season for 25 years, like Joseph. If you woke up this morning and you found out the season you're in. But I do know this that our God is unchanging and he will bring you through it the way he has always brought everyone through it. Be resolved in your heart and hold on, hold on through that resilient season. You know, I met a man who was uh, 27 and he shared his story with me and I realized, man, I, I couldn't describe resilience any better than he lived it. He lived it. And I want to share his story with you. He was 25 and got saved, had never grown up in church, but came to know the Lord. Met his wife, and they were married, and they were both in school full-time. And they were working full-time jobs, putting themselves through school. You know what that's like. You go to school full-time, you work full-time. It's, it's just a crazy season, right? Well, all of a sudden, he and his wife, they were 27, they'd been married two years, And she just got this horrible chest cold. And you know, when you're in college, you're bulletproof, right? You just take Benadryl and you take Dimetap or you take NyQuil and you just like, oh gosh, this thing, I just can't shake it loose. And she just couldn't get any better. And they were like, you know what, we got to go to the ready clinic. We just need some antibiotics. Have you guys ever been there where you finally break down and go to the doctor? You're like, look, I don't care. Shoot me up, put it under my tongue, whatever. Just get it gone, you know? Just give me something to zap this thing. And the ready clinic, the nurse practitioner listens to her lungs and she goes, Ugh. 
your lungs don't sound like a 27-year-old's lungs. I don't like what I'm hearing. She said, you know, I don't know what it is, but I want an x-ray just to rule some things out. Maybe this is pneumonia. I don't know. But let's get an x-ray because I want to make sure we get this taken care of. And she writes her an order, and she says, hey, I want you to go down to the hospital. They'll shoot some x-rays, and we'll go from there. So they're like, okay, great. So they go to get the x-rays. The radiologist comes out and says, you know what? I want somebody else to take a look at these. Just sit tight. Another doctor comes out and says, you know what? We want to go ahead and admit you because we want to run some more tests. And nobody's telling them anything. They're thinking, okay, is this pneumonia? Are we just going to get some IV antibiotics? They're sitting in a hospital room now. Doctors are coming in and out. Doctors are coming in and out. Tests, blood tests. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, they're at the one of the largest university medical centers in our country, one of the most prestigious. And a man comes in, and he introduces himself as the chief of oncology for this massive university hospital. And they sit up on the end of their bed, and they're like, well, what are you doing here? And he said, you know, I heard my colleagues discussing your case, and I knew instantly what it was, and I took a look at your chart, and I'm here to tell you the test results are all going to come back negative, My colleagues will tell me that I'm crazy, but I'm here to tell you that I saw on your chart that five years ago you had a skin cancer removed from your arm. Is that right? She said, yeah, I sunbathed and I had a funny spot, but my dermatologist got it and all my margins are clear. I'm fine. He said, no. He said, what's happened is that that skin cancer has metastasized to your lymph nodes. My thinking is that it's gone to your brain stem and that's the reason your lungs are filling up with water. Because your brain and your lungs are having a hard time talking to each other. 27 years old. Walked with the Lord for two years. you got to make a decision right then and there. What are you resolved about? Because that will determine your resilience. So they did everything right. They led the youth group in their church. They said, no, we're not going to believe this report. We are going to fight this thing. We are going to trust God through this thing. And for 14 months, they fought as brave and as hard as they knew how to fight. She was on chemo before she left that day. They fought as brave and as hard as they knew how to fight. And in 14 months, this man is 29 and he's a widower. He's buried his wife. I don't know where you're at today. Nobody has it better. Everybody has it different. And we all face hurricanes that put us at the bottom of a well emotionally. We all face storms where we think, you know what, God, I didn't expect that. There are many of you today that you have been through hell sideways. You know what that's like. And you know what it's like to just wake up and you're at a crossroads and you have to decide. You have to decide, where do I go from here? Am I going to come back from this? Or am I going to be stuck here in my hurt and my anger? Because we all face a choice. We can nurse our bitterness or we can ask God, say, Lord, I need better than this. I need better than this, Jesus. That's what resilience answers that question. You know, resolve is pretty easy. Everybody wants the promises of God. Everybody wants to walk in covenant with him. And that is your right and that is your inheritance. Resilience is what separates the men from the boys, isn't it? Resilience is what separates the men from the boys. You know, Jacob is speaking to his son, and he says the arms of his hands were made strong by the everlasting God. And then generation after generation, 
They go back and they go back and Joseph's arms are still strong. They're still strong because God in that resilient season, he's whispering in your ear while his arms are underneath yours. Hold on. Hold on a little bit longer. This is not what I have for you. If you'll hold on a little bit longer, you will see my goodness. If you will hold on just a little bit longer, I'm an eternal God and you are seeing this problem in 24-hour increments. Hold on. Hold on just a little bit longer. And if you will hold on through that resilient season, it'll bring you to that third season, which is reward. He will bring you to reward. He will bring you to reward. Just hold on. Just hold on. You know, Hebrews 11.21 is the faith hall of fame chapter. And we read about these champions in the faith. And you know what every single one of them had in common? They looked forward to their reward. As believers, you and I sometimes get confused, and we'd rather have recognition, which always comes in the present tense. But you and I have to look past that and say, Lord, I'm looking forward to my reward. I'm not going to settle for recognition. I want my reward, Jesus. i got to hold on for that, hold on for that through that resilience. In Hebrews 11:22, it says, By faith, Joseph, when nearing the end of his life, referred to the promise of God for the departure of the Israelites out of Egypt out of Egypt and left instructions for his bones this is what's happening joseph has received a promise since he was a child he has lived through 25 years of storms of skillful archers bitterly attacking him it's one thing to have an opponent it's another thing to have a skillful opponent amen there's some people you're like, look, just you're not even bothering me. And there are other people who know exactly where to put the knife. There's some situations you're like, yeah, I can deal with that in my sleep. There are other situations where it breaks you to your knees. You can do anything you want to me. Don't you touch my child. You can do anything you want to me, but don't you take this from me. Everybody has that different place, that different tender spot. And Joseph has lived his entire life. It says he, he died at 110. For 110 years, he looked forward to his reward. And he's gathering his children around him. And he's telling them, he says, hey, don't you leave my bones in Egypt. God is going to make good on the promises he whispered to my dad, to the promises he whispered to my grandfather, to the promises he whispered to my great-grandfather. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now Joseph. And he says, God's not going to leave us here. So you take my body with you when he makes good on these promises. That's the reward. That's what we look forward to, church. It doesn't look like we think it should look. It doesn't feel like we think it should feel. But it's still real and it's better. It's better than what you can ask, seek, think, or imagine. It's better. You know, Moses, when he's talking to Joshua, he's led the children of Israel for 40 years. And he has one piece of advice as Joshua's about to take over the helm. 40 years of leading these people. 40 years, a lifetime of talking to God like a man talks to a friend. And Joshua, I got one piece of advice for you. And he says it in Deuteronomy 33, 27. He says, Joshua, the eternal God is your refuge. The everlasting arms that are under you, the everlasting arms that are under you are making you strong. He drives out the enemy before you. He drives out the enemy before you, and he vindicates your cause. I want to tell you today that 
Some of you are probably wondering, well, what happened to that 27-year-old? What happened to that 29-year-old? Did he ever come into his reward? How did that story end? And I want to share his story with you. But I thought it would be better for him to share it with you in his own words than for me to give it to you secondhand. And so my husband, Todd, is going to come up here and he's going to share with you how he walked into his reward. In Genesis 32, it talks about Jacob. And Jacob at the time was fearful for his own life at the hands of his brother Esau. So he sent his family and his possessions on. And it says he camped by the river during the night and he was alone. And during the night, a man came and he wrestled with him. And he wrestled with him until daybreak. He was alone in the darkness, wrestling with God until daybreak. And when the morning came, the man said, let me go. And Jacob said, no, not until you bless me, not until you show me the promise, the reward that I am due. And so the angel blessed Jacob and he was gone. At 25, I came to know the Lord. I was baptized. I was married. At 27, we received the cancer diagnosis. At 29, two weeks shy of our fifth anniversary, I was a widower. I was alone in the darkness, searching for my reward, and I could not see the daylight. Have you ever been to a place where your hurt is so strong that you cannot see what God has for you? You do not know what God has for you? I was wrestling with God and looking for my reward. I didn't think I would ever marry again. I didn't want a family. I didn't want to go through that again. I didn't want to love, and I knew I didn't want to lose. I was wrestling with God and waiting for my reward. And for two years, hurt and anger took me into a very dark place and left me there. And I was still searching for God and looking for my reward. And then in the spring of 2002, the Lord finally put on my heart that I needed to pack up my bags and move to so I sold everything I had, whatever I had left, I put in my car, and I moved 800 miles away from home. And a week after I moved to Washington, I had a job, a place to stay, and, and so I worked for a week, and I was introduced to a wonderful lady. And she nurtured my hurt. She became my friend. And that friend became an engagement. That engagement became a marriage. And my reward had come. Five years, within the first five years of our marriage, we had two beautiful little children, a daughter and a son, and my reward had come. For 17 years, from the time my first wife was sick until today, I've stuck to one verse, Deuteronomy 31.23. The Lord calls Moses and Joshua together, and he commissions Joshua, and he says, you will carry my people into the promised land, and I will go with you. Yeah,
living to live it. Amen. You know, I want to encourage you with two things. One, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Because his word says this. In Genesis, actually, Genesis 50, Joseph talks to his brothers, and he says, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. Those 25 years, they meant something. Because now we have a place to live and survive, and we are going to come out of this thing better. And Jesus in the New Testament, Paul writes this. He says, our promise as believers is that he works all things together for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his plan and purpose. So if you want God to make the hurt in your life worth something, mean something, for it to be fruitful, you've got to be in covenant with him. You've got to give your heart to him so that he can make it right. And not just fix it, but make it whole. Make it whole. You know what I want? I feel a spirit in this room. Everybody in this room has a different story. We've all got places that are hurt and places we don't want other people to see. And I don't want you to leave this place holding on to that hurt. I want you to be able to lift it up to Jesus and let him take it. Let him take it. And what other men have meant for evil, God has meant for good. That your life can change course today. That he can work all things together for good. All things. Not some things. Not the things that you thought he could do. Not the things that you wish he would do. Not the things you did in your 20s. Not the things you're going to do in your 50s. No, he said all things can be worked together for good. If you don't know Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to make him your Lord and Savior right now. So that can start today. That can start this moment. And he can cause an acceleration. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you are tired of trying to fix the broken pieces on your own, if you need a new heart instead of a mended heart, you need the Lord to come in and make these things right for you. You need him as your Savior. I want you to raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. There are hands going up across this room. There are hands in every single section. Yes. Church, let's pray together. You can put your hand down. Let's repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me, Jesus. Lord, I give you my heart. I make you my Savior. I make you my Lord. Help me to walk in everything you have for me. Jesus, help me to be obedient, to hear your voice and seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are others of you who I don't know what part of your season you're at. I don't know what the hurt is. I don't know the ground that you're trying to be resilient in. I don't know if you're trying to make up your mind about what you're going to be resolved in. But I'm going to tell you what Jacob told Joseph, what Moses told Joshua, what the Lord told Todd. Be strong and be courageous. And the arms that are underneath you are the arms of the everlasting God. 
If that is you today, if you need rest, if you need strength, I want you to come down to this altar and lift your arms. Come down to this altar right now. Get out of your seat. Get out of your seat and lift your hurt to Jesus and let the everlasting arms come underneath you. Let his arms come underneath you and let him strengthen you. Let him give you rest. I'm not even calling the prayer partners up here because there are some things that only God, only God can make sense to you. There are some things, there are some things that you're like, you know what, this is between you and me, Jesus. This is between you and me. There is one mediator between God and man and it is Christ our Lord. And there are some things you just got to lift your hands and you got to say, I'm here. Jesus, I'm here. Make this right. Make this right. If that's you today, altar and lift those arms and let those arms of God come underneath you and make you strong today.